This morning we see the story of Jacob receiving the blessing from his father Isaac. And this story does not show these characters in a good light. We have Isaac, we have Rebekah, we have Esau, we have Jacob, and, and not a one of them is, is acting in, in a way that we say, oh, that's the redeeming point of the story. That, that person, it's rather showing the need for someone greater to come who is trusting in God. We're told there's favoritism in the family. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. We see it back in chapter 25, verse 28. And this led to many problems, as you could well understand. But in looking at this, we see that God's sovereignty is evident. And he is working to keep his promises. Remember that he declared that the promise would be to the younger son, to Jacob. He declared that it would be given to Jacob. And and why? Well, Paul elaborates on that in Romans 9 in this way. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will show compassion on whom I have compassion. It's according to his sovereign electing love. Not because Esau had done something more endearing than Esau had. It was before either one of them was born that God's purpose and election might stand. He said, the older shall serve the younger. And God keeps his promises, showing his power, even when man tries to change things. Now, that's, th- those words are just kind of coming together, but that's all week I've just been thinking, how in the world am I going to look at this passage? What do I want to focus on? Th- th- our temptation is, well, let's focus on Isaac. Well, let's focus on, no, no, let's focus on Rebecca. It's Mother's Day. Well, no, no, let's focus on Esau. No, let's focus on Jacob. Let's, let's find some good moral lessons here. And, and it, it is an exciting story. It's an interesting story. The way he writes it really pulls you in. And, and I, I thought of Sinclair Ferguson when, when he went off to, to school in, in Glasgow, Scotland. If you know Sinclair Ferguson, he teaches with uh, Ligonier. He said he was told you need to go to Reverend Still's church in Glasgow and listen to him, listen to him preach. And, and so he did that. He'd never been in a Presbyterian church before. And and the time for the sermon came, Reverend Still stood up and he, he read the passage and made comment all throughout and it took him 40 minutes to read the passage. And so they got done, they sang a song and, and he thought, well, the service is done. That was an interest. I've never heard a sermon delivered quite that way before. And everybody sat down and he said, oh, what? they must sit and for a moment of quiet before they go out. And then Reverend Still stood up and said, okay, now the sermon and he proceeded to preach for an hour and 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that. And he said, never, never experienced that before. And I thought to myself, man, I wish Reverend Still were here. He could comment on this passage and you would all listen attentively, uh, attentively and then you would sit down and after singing and you would listen to the preaching. But, but it, it just, it's, there is so much in this, in this account that it just it begs for commentary. I'm going to try... Well, I am going to keep my, my comments to a minimum, but I want you to listen carefully to what's going on here because there's so much intrigue. There's so much going on behind the scenes. There's so much we've got to ask ourselves. Why did that happen? Why, why are they acting that way towards each other? Why are they not talking to one another? And so on. And, and there's much that can be pulled out of here that we're not going to cover this morning, though we certainly, certainly could. Um, just to say this before we turn to the reading. There's a, this is a real mess. This family is a mess. 
It appears Isaac's never said no to Esau in his life, and Esau's done things that, that uh, he just gets away with. And, and Rebekah says, my, my little Jacob can do no wrong, and, and, and there, there, there we are. That's, that's just where we find ourselves. Well, let's pick up the reading of God's Word. Last verses of chapter 26, starting at verse 34 of Genesis 26. We're going to start there. It introduces the, the narrative. This is the Word of God. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. The first question that should be going off in our heads, what's he doing? He's, he's doing something contrary to what God says. But I, that's it. That's the only comment you're going to get. Moving on. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. Interesting dynamic going on between Isaac and Rebekah there. Yeah, he may curse you, but I'll take it. So, he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Building on the lie that he's already told, he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now, I don't know what kind of seamstress she was, but she must have put together a coat pretty fast. And Esau must have been one hairy individual when the father puts his hands on him and says, yeah, that's Esau. Just covers him with goat. There's not a lot of time for this to take place. 
And this is a fascinating uh, story that she's, she's willing to take this risk. So he did not recognize him, verse 23, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am, adding another lie. And he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What is he saying there? Be Lord. He's saying this. He's thinking this is Esau. What has God said? The older will serve the younger. But he says, if this is Esau, this is what I want. Be Lord over your brothers, including your younger brother. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. What's Isaac doing here? He's saying, I I know what the Lord said, but I don't want that for my eldest son. This This is striking. This is a very bold move here. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? That is, he who grasps the heel, a way to pull someone down to deceive. He has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. Again, was it Isaac who made him lord? Is that what? He did? Is that, was that his doing or was that the Lord's doing? Interesting the way the statements are made. I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Well, we could keep reading, and I was 
thinking of doing that this morning. We keep reading all the way through verse 9 of chapter 28 where we, where we see more of the story. It's hard to know where to break in on a narrative, how to, how to break it up. But, but what, do we, what do we see in verse 8? Uh, Esau understands that his father, Isaac, uh, is not pleased with his Canaanite wives. So he says, well, I'll marry another one then. And, and maybe I'll still get a blessing. I'll still get a blessing from my father if I just find the right wife. So he goes and he finds a wife from Ishmael's family, Ishmael being the other son of Abraham. And he's longing for this blessing, looking for this blessing. And yet, as Isaac says back in verse 33, I've, I've given my blessing and that one shall be blessed. We'll look at that a bit more as we look at this passage together. This is... This is God's word, and this is for our instruction. May he, may he bless us as we, as we try to understand this morning what's going on. Dear people of God, this account is written with such detail that we could, we could spend several weeks just in this, in this chapter looking at various aspects. And I, uh, I, I was, in, in a sense, tempted to do that, but I, 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 I want to keep moving through the book of Genesis that we don't, we don't, uh, we don't tarry too long, but... Um, I'm going to summarize the, the, the contents of this chapter in this way. The events are recorded as they are to help us understand that the hearts of God's saints are not holy either, and they are in need of redemption even as the unbeliever. There is no one who can say, I am without fault. I have the, the mark. I have the, the sign, and, and therefore I, I, am, I am the Lord's because of, of this reason. God is the one who must work powerfully, graciously, and justly, as we'll see toward the end, to bring us to himself. And it is God that we are to worship. It is God that we are to adore as we see just how needful we are of him. Well, some of the details this morning we want to look at. First, Isaac's plan. Isaac and his plan. Esau and his, was his favorite son, and he wanted him to receive the blessing. You can hear by the blessing that he gave him in verses uh, 27 to 29 that he wants Esau to be the one uh, lording over Jacob and all of the other sons, his authority and his power. And we must recognize right away that this is in direct opposition to God's decree to bless Jacob, which we read about back in verse 23 of Genesis 25. Esau was not the son living for blessing. Biblical writer gives us some backstory. That's why I stopped last week where I did so we could introduce this week's passage with those final verses of chapter 26. What's Esau doing? He's marrying Canaanite women. Well, that's not, that's not, a, good, that's not a good plan. That's certainly not in keeping with uh, what his forefathers would have done. Grandpa Abraham would not have been happy about this. You remember how he worked getting a, a, a wife for his son, for Isaac, he says, you, you go back to my homeland. She is not to, or he is not to marry a Canaanite. And yet here we read of nothing from Isaac that he is stopping Esau from marrying these Canaanite women. And what we read further in verse 35 of the end of chapter 26 is that they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. It, it was a bitter experience. We don't get the details, but we can well imagine that there was, was certainly uh, uh, tension in the home because of the differing allegiances that were represented there. Well, the opening of 
Chapter 27 then has to give us some description about Isaac's condition so that we could understand how Jacob could pull off his deception just a few verses later. How is this going to happen? Well, Isaac is blind. He cannot see. But there's more going on here when we really think about the backstory. It's not only that Isaac could not see, it's that Isaac would not see. What do I mean by that? Well, it's that Isaac would not see that God's blessing was on Jacob and not on Esau. And he was going to see to it that Esau got the blessing contrary to God's will. He was not submissive to God. And the scriptures are filled with those examples, aren't they, of, of, of failure to submit to the Word of God. I was just thinking this week of Paul's uh, failure to submit. He's this, he's this great rabbi, or this great teacher, this, and he's learning, he's learning. And then in Acts 26, he, he describes that story on the road to Damascus, and Jesus meets him there, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are, you, why are you resisting the direction I want you to go? I'm trying to show you through the word who I am, and you are persecuting me, and you're persecuting the church. That's just one that came to mind. But there are, there are countless examples throughout the, the scriptures of, of the people of God standing and resisting God's will, though we, though we, we know that will not that will never succeed. Will you and I be successful if we push against God's word, against his will? Of course not. Well, here we have Isaac. Isaac giving the blessing to Jacob. He does, it's, it's only later. It's, it's interesting that that word see is, it has a significance in this chapter. We're not going to trace it all through chapter 27, but verse 33, he recognizes that I blessed him and he shall be blessed. He now sees that he has done God's will contrary to what he wanted. That's not exactly how we want to do God's will. Well, I did it even though I didn't really want to. And yet God shows that he is going to accomplish his purposes. He will keep his promises. And we are to be wanting to walk within his will so that we might be in that right way. Isaac recognizes that he's blessed Jacob now, and he says, I, he's, he's going to be blessed. How does this plan to bless Esau set up? Well, it sets up in this way. Isaac tries to do it in secret. It's another odd situation here, right? He's, he says to Esau, come here, I've got, I've got a plan. I want to tell you something. You go out and, and get, get some game and, and prepare it the way I like it so that I might bless you. He knows that if he tells Rebecca his plan, this is not going to go over well. So Rebecca is left out of this conversation, but God sees what's going on. And Rebecca just happens to be there near the tent and overhears what's going on. And we see God's hand in this, and she makes a plan of her own. James Boyce makes this commentary. He says, Isaac's real problem was not how he would keep his plan from his wife and younger son. His real problem was his defiance to the revealed will of God. And he is like many in our day who think they can defy the Almighty God successfully. Well, isn't that true? We see it all around us. People 
defying Almighty God, his design, his decree, his, the way he's, he's made things, and, and thinking they're going to get away with it. They'll just do it without talking it over with him first. They'll just, they'll, they'll just kind of do it on the sly. And it's not just unbelievers who do this. We ourselves do this. We're, we're like Isaac, where we're trying to, to, to do things that we know to be against God's, God's will. The unbelieving world is described in this way. They lie to themselves and, and they, they believe the lie and they worship the creature rather than the creator. And this is all in spite of the fact that God makes the truth plain to all, Romans 1.19. But sinful man thinks he can defy God and yet prosper. It won't happen. We very often, in fact, daily know what God says and we Yet test God by doing things that we know he says to be wrong. And think of many examples. Cheating in business, slandering others, indulging in sinful actions, and on and on. Well, here the issue is favoritism. Right in front center is favoritism. One son being favored over another But favoritism, I was thinking about this, favoritism plays out in many different ways in our lives. When we favor a particular path, a particular way over against God's will, we could call that a a favoritism. We're favoring something that God says no to. We're making another God, another idol. When we desire a certain outcome, we favor a certain path, even if it's against God's word, and we tell ourselves we'll be blessed even when what we're doing is opposed to God. If we disregard God's clear word, we'll not know blessing, but only pain and heartache. Esau is a picture of that. It's, it's pain and heartache. He cries out. He's, he's, he's lamenting. He's weeping. But the author of Hebrews says, though he, though he cried with tears, it, he did not receive a blessing. And the reason was he, he did not see his sin. He just, he just felt sorry for himself. He said, this is not right. Don't you have more than one blessing? You've only got one blessing? Come on, I'll, I'll, even, I'll get another wife, and it'll be from the right family or from the right line. And I'll, I'll, Show me your favor. But he's not seeing that he's living outside of God's will in his life. Isaac himself tells, says, I will bless Esau, though God's blessing is for Jacob. And sometimes we say to ourselves, I'll make this thing work, even, even when we know that God calls it sin. Well, I'm going to make this work. We're going we're to see this through. And plans to do what God has not blessed, will not succeed in marriage, in work, in school, in home, in lifestyle choices. It won't be blessed. God's Word doesn't keep out the messy details in life. He wants us to see how needy we are, even the holiest among us, how we need to hear of His grace as much as anyone else. Grace which we need. And God was gracious to Isaac. He didn't write him out of the story. He led Isaac to accept his plan and to submit to it. He's described in the book of Hebrews as one who acted in faith. In spite of this event here, when Isaac says to Esau, I blessed your brother, he will be blessed. He is 
submitting to God's will. He recognizes that standing against God's will does not work. It never will. Well, then, what of Rebecca? Secondly, Rebecca's plan. She loved Jacob. After hearing Isaac talking to Esau, she developed a plan to secure the blessing for Jacob, which Esau, by the way, apparently uh, took back. You remember how he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew? And apparently now he says, well, I, I, I changed my mind. My dad has a, a plan to, to give me a blessing, and he conveniently forgets the promise that he's made to, to Jacob. And uh, he goes out and, and plays a part in Isaac's plan. He's resisting, resisting God's will, as we know from our, our uh, ability to see through God's word the rest of the story. Now, like, as I said, there's all kinds of questions bouncing around in my mind as I'm reading this narrative. And one of the questions is, why didn't Rebecca just go talk to Isaac? Did, did, did any of you think about that? Hey, I heard what you want to do with Esau. You know what God said. What's going on there? I don't know. We're, we're not told what exactly is taking place there. The, the answer to that question is probably multi-layered. There's probably a lot of things going on, but it shows that there's, there's, not, a, there's not a real cohesiveness here. There's a, there's a broken line of communication. There's a lack of trust. Isaac to Rebecca, Rebecca to Isaac. They're listening through the tent to kind of hear what conversations are taking place. Not a wonderful situation. And so she has to secure, or she thinks she has to secure the blessing for Jacob through deception. And Jacob, what do we see about him? Well, like Esau, he has no problems with her plan to deceive or to, to sin. His fear is that it might backfire. Well, what if, what if he realizes I'm not Esau and then what? I'll be cursed. That's his only concern is I just don't want this to backfire. I'll do it, but let's make sure that this is going to work out for me. And she says, I got this. I'll take the curse. <laughs> I, I wish I could make you appreciate how difficult this, this was to just think, okay, well, I don't know, uh, I don't know what to do with this, how to, how to present this. But, there, well, it's Mother's Day. We're supposed to speak glowingly of our mothers today, right? And we can. And we can present... Uh, uh, verses from Scripture that are, are helpful to our mothers, but the verse that I don't find in Scripture is, be like Rebecca. Rebecca is not one who, who is, is operating in a way that's trusting the Lord. Um, I, I don't think any of us here would, would approve of her plan and again, what I want us to see over top of this is God uses Isaac's and Rebekah's in his plan. He graciously keeps. Uh, he graciously preserves. He doesn't write sinners out of his plan. He redeems them. Um, James Boyce, again, uh, has a comment on this passage. He says, Rebecca was right in clinging to the promises of God. Now, there's something we want to remember. He was right, claiming the promises of God. I promise for you and for your children, all who are far off. Now, teach your children, right? We'll look at that in a moment. But he goes on to say, um, she was right in, in perceiving that Isaac was willfully rejecting the promise in favor of his preferred son. 
Her fault lay in failing to trust God to bring the blessing to Jacob in his own time and way. Mothers, do you ever have that where you think, I wish my kids had the advantage and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do what I, what I can to, to just get them, get them to excel or, or get them in that, in that position where they're going to be. I want them to succeed. That's a good thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proper desire to, to, see, to want to protect and to, to care for your children. And, and, and yet here we're, sh- we're shown that, that we wait patiently on the Lord and we seek to, to uh, lead in the way that he would call us to lead. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. How are we training our children? Or are we concerned about other things, perhaps more, that become prioritized? Trusting in God and leading uh, and living in obedience to his commands is the way. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in him. There are many moments in every day where this possibility is open to us, whether it's around the table, whether it's they're getting ready for school in the morning or as they're going off to work, whatever the case may be, reminding them of who they serve, reminding them of whose they are, who they belong to. God is pleased with them in Christ. Encouraging them, saying, "You don't need to live for praise of man or for a number of friends to live for God. Trust that He is making you the person that He wants you to be." And Boyce again, James Boyce says, "If you're not trusting God and are therefore trying to do your will instead of His, or even His will in your own way." Learn that the plottings of sin never work out and the path of disobedience is always rocky. The path of disobedience is always rocky. The path of obedience is not always easy. It doesn't mean, well, okay, if I obey, then everything's going to be smooth. It, it isn't. We still fret. We still fear. We still have, we're still anxious. It doesn't mean there won't be times of, of suffering where we build or we see character being built or where we're seeing discernment being developed through difficult circumstances. But God shapes and he is glorified when his people, younger and older, look to him and say, I need the Lord to get through this. I need the Lord to know how to, to live out my faith. So where are we being taken in Genesis? Are these stories recorded merely to teach what's good and bad and to how to do more of the good and less of the bad? They said there's certainly applications to be found in these passages. Can't deny that the Bible's instructive and in teaching us so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work as we heard this morning already. But above this, we're being taught to see the creating and redeeming power of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the grace of God. He is the one who is to be worshipped as we look at how he is over all of the situations in our lives. However opaque they may seem, however unclear they may seem, he is working. We see his sovereignty in carrying the promised line along, moving to the point till it reveals the promised one that he has given. 
here through Isaac and Rebekah unto that revelation of the promised one who will deliver sinners from sin and death and hell into a land of promise where there will be life forevermore. All these promises given here to the patriarchs are types and shadows of what God has in store for for his people. God's plan will not be foiled. Well, we see how man tries to ignore his word to attack his plan, but God never fails. He said that Jacob would be blessed, and he was. That word bless, blessing and blessed, I, I don't know if you caught that, but it's mentioned at minimum 20 times in this passage. It, it, as though we need to hear this. God says, bless, blessing, blessed. This is going to happen. This is going to occur. I will see to it. To assure us, God is going to keep his promise. And from this line of blessing comes a Savior who blesses the nations. And we think of the attack of sinful man against God's anointed, and we see that God's wisdom is wiser than man. It's through the suffering and death of the Son of God that life was given to those who would turn from their, their plans, from their ways, to him who is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. Jesus' death was not a defeat, but a victory over sin and death and hell, redeeming work, providing a means of salvation that we might be reconciled to God. When he faced suffering, he would pray more. When he faced hardship, he looked constantly to his Father, but not just in hardship and suffering, but at all times. Declaring, not my will, but yours be done. We must not seek to force God's hand, trying to develop a plan that we think would work. That seems more efficient, perhaps easier. We must not walk away from from God. Just the opposite, we must learn to lean upon him, to delight in him. There was so much we could say about Jacob and Esau. We're not going to do that this morning, but I'll just say this about Jacob. He had a strong desire to receive the blessing. In that sense, it's good. We we should strive to live in God's will, to know the way of blessing. But he sought it in the wrong way, through deception, a shortcut in other ways. And we see him then set off against the Lord Jesus Christ who alone knew the plan of God and submitted himself to it perfectly. And by his work, the blessing does come to God's people, to us. He is God's plan of salvation, which cannot be defeated, which endures to the end of time. So what is your plan as we close? Some questions that arise from time spent in this narrative this morning. One of them is, will I trust God And his timing in my life, will I trust him and his ways or will I try to press on and press in a different way? Will I wait upon him for college plans, for marriage plans, for vacation plans, for parenting plans and all of the rest? Or will I say, no, no, we're going to, we're going to, I got this. I'm going to control this. I'm, I'm running this. Further, what about this? Will I seek to obey his commands in all of life? When he makes clear his will to me, will I seek to 
to make the lie seem like truth, which is a warning against us in Romans 1. That's what the unbeliever does. Or will I say, no, this is God's truth, and I will walk in this way. This is the path. This is the only path. Another question, do I want to see God's promises to my child fulfilled in their lives? How will I point them to God? Will I call them to trust in Him alone for salvation? Will that be a a part of my daily prayer, my action in the home? Will I walk with my spouse in the path of obedience, not creating a space for distrust, but a space for of loving obedience and joy. That there's open communication, that I'm loving the Lord and that together we want to see God showing his love and mercy upon our family that he might be honored and glorified in our home. Will I love my sibling or my siblings and encourage them to walk in the ways of the Lord? How Jacob and Esau must have fought. How will it be in my home? What will I do? How will I live? And how will I encourage? All these questions and many more we could think of are meant to direct us to think about how we live before the face of God. Recognizing his sovereignty, recognizing his way, reflecting on too our need of his grace to live for him because we don't always answer those questions the way that he tells us we should answer them. We are the ones who have been blessed by godly fathers, mothers, and above all of that, God's sovereignty to lead us to a place where we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be delivered from the curse of sin and even now to be delivered from the power of sin more and more. The Lord says... Through his son, I have blessed them and they will be blessed. The question is, how will we walk in that way of blessing? Constantly testing or contentedly walking in his way? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see ourselves so clearly in this story and these historical people our ancestors in the faith we have questions to ask ourselves to hold up this mirror of your word before us and to say where what do i see of myself in this what do, what am i seeing and then holding up your word which is that that clear instruction to us, telling us the way in which we are to go. Father, we, again, we thank you for the blessings of the covenant that extend from generation to generation, godly mothers from generation to generation, godly fathers. We pray for godly offspring. We pray that we would not seek to run ahead of you or to try to manipulate circumstances or to, to press for those things which are, are not primary, for you will provide for us every day our daily bread. 
Help us not to be anxious as mothers. Help us not to be obnoxious as fathers. Not exasperating our children, but wanting to show what it is to repent of sin, to walk in the right path. Showing that we are depending upon you in everything. Forgive our sins. And in Christ, Lord, bless us that we would be a blessing. We ask in his name. Amen.